You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Glorious welcome to you. Lovely to see you again. Come on in, kick off those snowshoes, put down those flick knives, pop your mortarboards on the hat rack. The lounge is over there on the right, screening room over there on the left, and if you keep heading forwards, you'll end up in my arms for a waltz. No, Adam is not drunk. Adam is recovering from yet more illness. So all of time and space is slightly fuzzy. So lockdown is being eased here in the UK. As of last week, we were all able to meet in the garden. Hooray, we all said. Scurried off for barbecues and picnics and socially distanced afternoon teas. And of course, two days later, we're all bedridden with colds. Hasten to say, I don't have COVID, fortunately. My goodness me, those tests never get easier, do they? But I am suffering from my first real cold in about a year, which is rather an exquisite feeling, I have to say. I think we can all agree that there's no worse or debilitating illness in the world than a man with a cold. (laughs) I tenderly await your heartfelt condolences. I'm kidding, of course. There are people far worse off than me. But if the old voice does sound a bit strange today, then at least you know why. (laughs) I do hope that you're keeping safe and well. I hope you've all been keeping yourselves entertained by watching some delightful classic movies. Talking of which, I have a marvellous new perk for those of you who have kindly signed up as patrons of the show. If you're a patron, co-producer, then you now have access to my very own specially curated classic movie collection. All you need is an internet connection and you can instantly stream any of the movies I've made available to you. I've started the collection with 73 titles, including everything from the Thin Man movies to the Brighton Strangler. From Hitchcock to Billy Wilder, Warner Gangsters to MGM Melodramas. Pre-code to Technicolor Romances, Silence to Sound. All available to watch whenever the mood takes you. An instant classic movie collection at your fingertips, in your pocket, on your TV screens, anytime you want it. Plus, I'm adding at least three new titles every week. So it's going to become quite the library. I am actually adding five movies to it in the coming days. That's available right now to all patrons. And if you want access, very simple. Just sign up at www.patreon.com slash attaboysecrets. Or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. Also exclusive to patrons is the new Queens of Cinema series. Episode 4 is about to be released. It's called The Brief and Beautiful Life of Baby. And tells you all about the dazzling Gene Harlow. The first hour of Carrie Part 2 is also out for patrons right now, as are some new Blueprints episodes, weekly bonus review shows, movie commentaries, previews, all that jazz. If you want to sign up, all you need to do is go to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes of this episode. On to today, though, a duo of classic movies to tell you about which both feature a Hollywood star who went back home to Britain 
to add their own pinch of stardust to movies being made there. We'll also take a visit to the What's My Line studio for another round of Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend? An episode of Old Time Radio and, of course, some beautiful music. So let's kick off with a turn from the man himself, Mr. Hoagie Carmichael, here to tell you just what's on his mind. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind, Georgia on my mind, each day, Georgia, my honey. A song of you Comes as sweet and clear As moonlight through the pines Other arms reach out to me Other eyes smile tenderly Still in peaceful dreams I see The road leads back to you To you, beautiful Georgia Georgia No peace I find Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia Hoagie Carmichael with Georgia on my mind. 
over now to see how sharp your wits are. A famous old Hollywood star that you must identify from their voice alone. This is from a very early episode of What's My Line. In fact, it aired in 1950. Now, the star you're about to hear did not disguise their voice in any way. And if you know your movie release years, then I urge you to think of 1950 and one of the most legendary movies released in that year. So prick up those ears. Listen for the clues and see if you can tell who the hell is that Hollywood legend. All right, panel. As you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we dispense with the usual amenities and get right down to the general questioning. And so we'll begin that general questioning with Miss Francis. Well, whoever this is, they must be in the entertainment world. Are you in the entertainment world? Yes. And it's a lady with a deep voice. Are you a performer in the entertainment world? I mean, an actress? Uh, uh, are you in uh, uh, pictures? Yes. Are you also in the theater? No. Uh, we don't want to be completely unfair. Our mystery celebrity has been in the theater, and I think in that context, and we won't give you a flat no. You go ahead, Miss Francis. So that primarily, then, we say she is in pictures? Yes. Uh, have you uh, uh, a uh, penchant for comedy roles? Hmm. Oh, no, sexy role. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Well, our mystery celebrity has said she has, so you go ahead, Miss Francis. Uh, I pass. You pass, Mr. <laughs> Sir. Do you sing in any of these pictures that you make? Yes. Uh, have you ever made any pictures in which you don't sing? Yes. Has, uh, has your last picture been a picture in which you sang, or was it one in which you did not sing? Which I didn't That know. cannot be answered yes or no, Mr. Surf. You must ask Did the you sing in your last yes picture? No. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Did you sing in your last picture? No. One down and nine to go. Miss Kilgallen. Um, are you blonde? No. Two down and eight to go, Mr. Undermeyer. By a process of extreme elimination, are you a brunette? <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, yes and no. At this point. <laughs> At this moment, looking at you as I am with blinders, you are a brunette. And looking at you in the same way, I presume you are glamorous. Yes. Uh, don't bother to answer. <laughs> you are glamorous. Have you been in the papers uh, more or less recently? I think so. You have been in the papers more or less recently. Has a certain well-known singer made a trip to Spain in order to... <laughs> really? Really? Uh, well, Better certainly answer. not to see me. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Seven to go, Miss Francis. Uh, uh, do you wear your hair long? No. Four down and six to go, Mr. Surf. Your last picture, you say, you did not sing. Were you the star of the picture? Well, yes and no. <laughs> well, that's a strange answer. This is, is becoming modesty. The answer no, to that should be I'm a thundering yes. I'm quite professional about it. You mean your name was below the title of the picture rather than above it? You're getting too technical, Mr. Sir. You go well, ahead with the answer that you've got and go somewhere else. Was, it a, was the last picture you made a comedy? No. Five down and five to go, Miss Kilgallen. Uh, do you ever uh, dance in motion pictures? I have been known to. Oh, not well. Gosh, I know that voice and I'm in Pittsburgh. Um, have you um, appeared on television before? Yes. Would you like to pass? I pass, yes. Mr. Undermeyer. Let's get down to this picture business. You have been in pictures recently, and your most recent picture was not a comedy. No. What? 
was it? The well-known, again by process of elimination, not a blonde comedy, but a brunette tragedy. Very much, I would say. Very much a tragedy. Well, let's have a conference now. You may have yeah. very much 15 a tragedy. seconds for a conference. Recent, uh, may I ask, was it a very great popular success? Hmm. I don't like that. I will answer, answer yes. <laughs> you go ahead, Mr. Adam. I have 15 what, what seconds for a conference. Uh, tragedy you. recently with, with a woman who is a star and who prefers not to call herself a great star. And we'll have to stop it there as the panel do actually come up with the name. Do you have a clue? Well, hold on to it for now, and we'll revisit later to see if you're right. While I have you, just must mention that the new episode of All the Best Lines is out now, the podcast in which I appear as a co-host. Me and my pal Smokey this time look at the Basil Rathbone, Nigel Bruce, Sherlock Holmes classic, The Pearl of Death, and it's a good old episode, so do go and check out All the Best Lines. Here we are, out of cigarettes, holding hands and yawning. Look how late it gets to sleepy people by dawn's early light And too much in love to say goodnight Here we are in the cozy chair Picking on a wishbone From the frigid air to sleepy people With nothing to say and too much in love Break away. Do you remember the nights we used to linger in the hall? Father didn't like you at all. I call him Pops. Do you remember the reason why we married in the fall? To rent this little nest and get a bit of rest. Well, here we are, just about the same. Foggy little Drowsy little ding To sleepy people by dawn's early light And too much in love to say
Yeah. Anyway, it's an engagement there from Mr. Hoagie Carmichael, this time joined by the lovely Ella Hogan for Two Sleepy People. Marvellous. Feeling rather sleepy myself, must admit. I need some vitamin C and to roll into bed for about two weeks. I'm sorry about my voice, by the way. On to some movies then, two to tell you about today. The first is a delightful little fairy tale from 1930s England that's often passed over when it comes to the film work of Cary Grant. However, it is a lovely little fable with a very sweet story that makes for a perfect bout of escapism. It's from 1936, and its name is The Amazing Quest of Ernest Bliss. And here is a clip. Look, Ronnie, I got you a note, but I'm blowed if I'll lend you a thousand pounds. Oh, never mind about that. I shouldn't have asked you, really, but you know how broke I am and you're rolling. No, it's not a question of whether or not I can afford it. The point is, it's too easy to lose one's friends that way. No, well, let's forget it, shall we? I shouldn't like anything to spoil our friendship. Oh, don't let's talk about money anyway, Ronnie. I'm an ill man. Oh! oh no, I'm not kidding. It's on the level. I have something wrong with me. Oh, well, if you're really feeling ill, why don't you let Sir James Alroyd have a look at you? Sir James Alroyd. He's a bit of a crank, but he'll charge you 20 guineas. He's the best diagnostician there is. Oh, no, no, no. He's what? <laughs> don't ask me to repeat that. Anyway, he'll tell you what's the matter with you. He's the best doctor in London. Cary Grant plays the rich, idle socialite Ernest Bliss, who's so disillusioned with his privileged life that his mental health has begun to suffer. He takes a trip to a doctor who advises him that what he needs isn't a holiday or medical treatment, but a complete change in lifestyle. He challenges Bliss to spend a year without money, to experience life as it's meant to be lived, and to try fighting for his place in the world for once. Disappear for a time. Earn your own living. Live on a few pounds a week if you can make them. If not, go hungry. Do that for a year and I guarantee it'll make you fit. That's rather a tall order. Of course, a certain amount of moral stamina would be needed. Oh, you think I've no stamina, eh? Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Bliss. You don't seem to like me. A medical man's time is limited. Besides, there's so much genuine suffering in the world that money would alleviate. And off we go as Ernest Bliss experiences life on the other side for once, finding a job, earning a living, and mixing with a class of people who are always way beneath his own. And of course, he'll fall in love along the way with plucky, practical secretary Francis, played by Mary Bryan. You should have phoned me sooner. Even if you hadn't found work, I could have paid for the dinner. Do girls pay for dinners? I hadn't thought about it. Well, I might not have bought you the wine. Yes, but this is a celebration. To your entrance into the cabbage business? Oh, no, no. To our first dinner together. Here's to us. Such a delightful little tale that does quite a rare thing. Usually in these sorts of fables, people take wages in the hope of becoming rich. Look at Brewster's Millions or the Million Pound Note, for instance. The Amazing Quest of Ernest Bliss does the complete opposite. It broadcasts a very optimistic message about the value of life itself and that you do not need money in order to enjoy life. It doesn't go so far as to say something condescending like money is nice. Everyone in the film could do with a bit more of it. And it's shown to improve and help people at times, but it's not all there is to life. You don't need it in order to find happiness, which I found a really lovely takeaway from this. It's great to see Cary Grant in so humble a British production too. He was a big star in Hollywood at the time, but for personal reasons, he had to go to England in 1935 when this was being made. So he took this role while he was in the country, and it's lovely to see so familiar a face in so modest a film 
The direction and the production design aren't what you'd call resplendent, but then again, they're not supposed to be, you know? You're supposed to be living in and among the working classes, and this does have a rough, shabby feel to it that I think would have been lost if it was a Hollywood movie. And Mary Bryan as Francis is simply wonderful too, another Hollywood export who just so happened to be in England at the time. So upon this modest little British fairy tale of a story, you have a generous sprinkling of Hollywood stardust. If you want the full story of this film's production, why Cary Grant was there and what happened during production, then it will be covered quite extensively in Carrie Part 2, which is almost done. For now, though, go and enjoy the movie, The Amazing Quest of Ernest Bliss, sometimes known as The Amazing Adventure. It's a sweet little tale with a great pair of stars and contains a genuinely positive message. I really loved it. Something very different now. A late horror entry from the master himself, Mr. Boris Karloff who also took a trip back to England, place of his birth, to add his own Hollywood stardust to a very nicely mounted and rather grisly little horror tale that author Jan Reed had written specifically for Karloff. 1958's The Haunted Strangler. This is a good one. Here's a clip. I don't know why you social reformers always want to play detective to prove your theories. Because you detectives always leave such gaps in your investigations. Well, that doesn't apply to me. I wasn't on this case. Now then, what is it you want? There was a Dr. Horsley, the police surgeon on the case. I'd like to see his report. I don't know what you expect to find. If ever a case was proved, this one was. Oh, no, but there's nothing in Stiles' life to show that he was capable of such violence. Except for this. He has positive identification of Stiles. A dozen people saw him that night in the Judas Hole. Why, one of them, uh, Cora says, she still sings there. Quite impossible for her to have mistaken a one-armed man. Is the knife still in the box? You nearly had me that time. You know it isn't. No, it never was found. That's one of the gaps I was talking about. There's a savage killer at work in Victorian London. The Haymarket Strangler has killed five women, but his reign of terror is brought to an end when the police catch and hang Edward Stiles, the man responsible. Twenty years pass, and crime novelist James Rankin played by Boris Karloff, has begun to notice cracks in the case. Rankin seems to be proved correct when the killings begin again, but what will happen when the Haymarket Strangler realises that Rankin is on his trail? Perhaps he had a compulsion to kill. Afterwards, in his lucid moments, he, he might bitterly regret his actions. He, he might even forget them altogether. You mean he killed while he was in some sort of a trance? I can only theorize, sir. Yes, but it's a theory that applies to a man who had intermittent attacks of paralysis and great fits of violence. I can't contradict you, sir. He was trying to cut himself off from his whole life by going to Australia. Perhaps in an effort to rid himself of the compulsion to kill, he discarded the knife that had become the symbol of the murders. Well, it's an explanation, sir. Where was the last place that he would have had the knife? Well, I suppose he had it at uh, Stars' autopsy, before the burial. Exactly. So the knife must be hidden in the most obvious place. Where? You can't deny it, McCall. In Stiles' coffin. I cannot possibly spoil what happens for you. This is a true delight of a movie. I'm not even going to hint at what might happen, as you need to go into this one fully unarmed. 
and without any kinds of expectations. This is a wonderful horror tale that owes an incredible debt to the films of Val Luton, in particular The Body Snatcher, that most famous of adaptations, also starring Karloff. The production is incredible too. You really do feel as though you've travelled back in time and because you're at the tail end of the 1950s, there's also that slightly more brutal edge to this. The killings, while not explicitly gory, are far more savage than your average murder mystery thriller from the golden age. I wish I could talk more about the story itself, but it really is better if you don't know what's coming. I knew nothing about this and I found myself utterly thrilled by the plot revelations. Do go into this blind if you can. I can, however, wax lyrical about the stupendous performance of Boris Karloff. It's amazing to see him play detective for once. He's brilliant. As well as the cerebral, dramatic performance he gives, you also get the added bonus of the... I can't spoil it. My apologies. I know this is a frustrating review, but all you really need to know is that The Haunted Strangler from 1958 is wonderful. It's clever, it's horrifying, it's deliciously macabre, and it contains one of Boris Karloff's best ever performances. Do go and seek it out, but try not to spoil it for yourself before you watch it. Trust me. We will stick with Mr. Karloff today for our radio entertainment again on a macabre theme. This is an episode of Inner Sanctum in which Boris plays a psychologist obsessed with murder and who becomes far too involved in his chosen subject. This is Study for Murder. So turn the lights down low and I'll see you afterwards. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host. William... We have an expert on murder here tonight. He has a rather strange idea. Something about everybody being a potential murderer. Perhaps he's right. Perhaps one of us here, right in this room, is capable of committing a murder. Take a good look at your neighbor. Maybe he's the one. Or, uh, maybe it's you. by Hyman Brown brings you one of Broadway's and Hollywood's best-known stars, Boris Karloff, now appearing in the smash Broadway hit Arsenic and Old Lace. Tonight, Mr. Karloff appears as Herbert Lodge in Study for Murder, an original radio drama by Sigmund Miller. In one of the cells of the death house stands a man holding tightly onto the bars. A dazed expression on his young face. His alive and precious minutes move swiftly away. The curtain of death draws closer. It is only a few hours before his execution. Suddenly in the stillness there are footsteps. For a moment the dazed expression on Edward's face changes to fright. Hello, Sam. Hello. My name's Herbert Lodge. Are you from the governor? No, Sam. I'm just a psychologist. Oh, my work is to try to keep other people from doing the thing that you did. You can help me by answering a few questions. That's not going to do me any good. No, but you could at least help other people from making the same mistake. I've got to get out of here. I want to live. I don't want to die. You were never convicted of a crime before, were you, Sam? No. No, I never even got a traffic ticket. I never harmed anyone in my life until that terrible night. You believe me, don't you? Why, of course I do. Please, Mr. Lodge. 
Please, you said you're a psychologist. Can't you do something for me? Can't you say I'm insane or something? No, Sam, I can't. You're not insane. But I... I never meant to kill her. My hands went for her throat as if they weren't my hands. It's so hard to believe. Me, who never even had a fist fight. Yeah. Very interesting. You didn't even hate your wife, did you, Sam? No. No, I didn't hate her. She used to get on my nerves. We used to fight a lot about money. But I never hated her. She was spending more money than I earned. She got you angry. She ridiculed your small earnings. That's right. How did you know? And she did that every time you had an argument about money. Yes. I couldn't stand it anymore. I know she didn't really mean it, telling me that I didn't work hard enough, but... When she told me that last time, I don't know, my my hands went for a throat. You didn't feel you didn't feel any any kind of pity for her? I don't want to talk anymore. Please. Please leave me alone. I can't stand it. This one question is very important. You saw her dead on the floor. What were your reactions? For a minute, I was glad. Then suddenly I realized what I'd done and I got scared. I tried to revive her. Tried to bring her back to life. You talked to her, didn't you? I don't remember much after that. You feel full of remorse now, don't you? No, I don't. I hate you. I hate everybody. Get out. Get out before I kill you, too. I'm a murderer, do you hear? I can't. All right, Sam. Thanks very much. We're going to have trouble taking him to the chair. Does it make any difference, Warden? It'll all be over in two hours. Makes a great difference. We don't want Edward's last few minutes to be agonizing terror. He was quite calm until you spoke to him. No one has ever reconciled the death. These last few minutes are really of no importance. That's rather cold-blooded of you, Mr. Lodge. Perhaps it is. I'd imagine you'd be just as sensible. I prefer to think that all murderers are sick men and should be treated as such. Oh, then perhaps we're not so far off from each other in our thinking. I'm trying to understand the disease of murder. A disease that all of us have, every one of us. You probably know that, well, that more than two-thirds of all murders are committed by what we call the average citizen. The most harmless, law-abiding man is capable of murder under certain circumstances. I'd, I'd like to observe the execution. Well, I'm afraid I can't let you do that. Why not? I don't understand you're taking a dislike to me. Certainly I can do no harm. Well, you can do no good... But satisfy a morbid curiosity. I really believe you'd enjoy watching a man being put to death. I don't like you, Mr. Lodge. You ought to take a good look at poor Edwards and say to yourself, there but for God go I. Good night, sir. Margaret, Edwards has just paid with his life. 
I managed to get a lot of valuable information out of him before he went to pieces. Herbert, maybe you ought to take a rest. Stop working on your book for a while. A vacation would do you good. Well, you're not worried about me, are you, Margaret? But no good can come of it at the rate you're going. Why, the only thing on your mind is is me. Oh, you don't understand. I've got to know... I've got to know more about the, the desire to kill. All of us are capable of murder. And knowing that, that even I can commit murder, fills me with a horrible fascination. You don't know what you're saying, Herbert. I've got to explore the whole field of crime, track down every detail that leads to murder. Everyone I meet is a subject for study. And I myself am my own best subject. I've never felt so keen about anything in my life. I can't stop now. You're I... fire, Herbert. Well, yes. Perhaps I am. But you can't write about fire unless you've been burned. Oh, please give it up. I don't like the underworld people you've been associating with. You mean Whitey? Yes. I can't stand him. Well, I'm sorry. But I'm going to see him again tonight. It's taken me a long time. But I finally succeeded in forming a tribe of my own. A tribe? What are you talking about? It's the underworld term for gang. Why, you're out of your mind. You've become a gangster. Oh, it's temporary. But it's the big brains of the mob. I'm going to see crime and murder from the first row. We're going to muscle in on some racketeer's territory. I absolutely forbid you to do it. Oh, please, Herbert. I've made up my mind. Don't waste your time trying to stop me, Margaret. I, uh... I don't want to be unpleasant with you. Cut in on Cannonball Jerry's racket. He's had it too long already. It's about time it was taken away from him. Cannonball's funny tough. As soon as he gets wise, he's going to go gandering for us. I wouldn't like to be in front of his choppers when he's mad. You don't have to worry about him. No. Well, you ain't seen what he saw. I never will. We'll get him before he knows what's happened. You mean you're going to blast him? That's right. He sure took on a tall order. Who's going to do it for you? You are, Whitey. Oh, yeah? How are you going to get him here? That's very easy. He's coming here. Coming here? I've tipped him off that a new mob is going to cut in on him. I let him find out my name and the address of this room. He ought to be here in a minute. You and Johnny ought to meet him outside. He'll be coming up with the lieutenant right into a trap. But I want Cannonball Jerry brought to me alive. I don't care what happens to the tricker man. It ain't going to be an easy job. Well, you're not afraid, are you, Whitey? I ain't afraid of nobody. But I've been strictly a stick-up artist. Ain't never had a bump off a guy before. Mm-hmm. We'll take a couple of the boys with you. You won't have too much trouble. And hurry up. Inside. What goes on here? What's your game? The boss wants to see you get in. Oh, you must be the terrible cannonball Jerry. Nice of you to come visiting me. Who are you? I ain't never seen you before. Hmm? I'm the man you were going to take care of. Except that the tables are turned. Where's the trick man, Whitey? I had to slug him. Johnny's outside doing spot duty. In case any uh, Jerry's pal show up. Excellent. Jerry? 
You've killed a lot of people in your life, haven't you? I ain't got no beef with you. Yeah, but didn't you come here to kill me? No, I wasn't coming to see you. I never seen you before. You're not going to bump me. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Jerry. You're not going to leave here alive. I wasn't going to kill you. Uh, I was only going to scare you. You've got to believe me, please. Let me go. I'll never bother you. Well, well, well. Running through the country. Breaking down completely. Let me go. I leave the city. I never come back, I swear. All right, you'll leave the city and you'll never come back. Never. Shall I let him have it now, boys? Ain't no sense of wasting time. In a second. We'll give Cannonball a chance to compose himself. You ain't going to get away with it. You'll be following me. You ain't going to get away with it. Here you are, Whitey. Use this silencer. Go ahead. No. No, don't shoot. I get out. Is this the first man you've killed? Uh, yeah, it's, it's my first. How do you feel? You've just ended a man's life, Whitey. Doesn't it make you feel powerful to be able to lop off 30 years of someone's life in a second? Leave me alone, I tell you. All right, all right. I'm a bit upset. But tomorrow we move in on Jerry's business. Come on. We'll go home. I hope you sleep well. As well as I will. It's a few hours later now. In the small hours of the morning. Lodge is asleep. Toss is in his bed, is he? Here's a familiar voice. Hello, Mr. Lodge. Huh? Who who is there? It's me. Sam. Sam? Sam Edwards? No. How, how did you get here? You, you're dead. Yes, I'm dead. But I came back. I thought maybe you wanted to ask me a few more questions. You, you came back? Oh, it can't be. I must be dreaming. I came back to tell you I was sorry about going to pieces. I was scared then, but I'm not scared anymore. Dead people aren't afraid. Uh, I'm nothing to ask you anymore. You told me everything. No, I didn't answer your last question. You asked me if I was full of remorse. Mm, you, you don't have to answer that. I, I knew. The remorse ate into me like acid. It was unbearable. I couldn't stand it. It drove me crazy. It made me hate myself. I just can't describe how it felt. No, I... Uh, I guess that about covers everything. It doesn't, Mr. Lodge. I was going to tell you about my last few minutes alive. I, I don't want to hear anymore. You know, Mr. Lodge, I was thinking... If you want to find out how it feels to kill someone... The best way is to do it yourself. Do it myself? I, I'm no murderer. I wasn't a murderer either until the first time. I'm a weak man, but you're a strong one. You'd enjoy it. Your conscience won't bother No, no, I'll never kill anybody. You never can tell. Murder. It's an experience. 
experience you've never had. It's really so easy. Quiet. You won't have to ask questions. You'll know all about it yourself. You've got to do it with your own hands to know. Try it. Try it with your own hands. Herbert, speak up. Herbert. Speak up, Herbert. What's in my heart? Where am I? Where am I? Oh. I'm dreaming. I'm having a nightmare. I'll say you were. You kept talking in your sleep. What? What did I say? You kept repeating, I'm no murderer. I'll never kill anybody. What? I've never talked in your sleep before. It's been a vivid dream. Herbert, you've got to stop this horrible research of yours. You can't go on. I'll either get a nervous breakdown or, or actually kill someone. Let's see, sir, but I'm frightened. This is none of your affair, Margaret. I've told you before not to interfere. This is my affair. I'm not going to stand by and let you get yourself deeper and deeper in this rotten business. Oh, you make me tired. I'd like to see some of our clients. Okay, suit yourself, boy. There's a speechless place. I'm kind of expecting trouble from him. Huh? What's the matter with him? Oh, he's been beefing about losing business. Says he can't keep up with the payments for protection. Well, he won't beef after today. Come on. We'll go in. Yeah. Hello, Pietro. How's business? It's it's you guys again, eh? Well, what's the matter, Pietro? Aren't you glad to see us? No. No, I'm not glad to see you, you crook. Be careful, Pietro, careful. You'll find yourself staring up at the ceiling. Now, hand over that money. I, I didn't do no business today. You guys are going to make me go out of business. I can't pay no more. Now, now, Mr. Pietro. Surely your life is a little more valuable than the payment. Behave yourself. Hand over the money. Of course, I got it. Eleven dollars. I'll teach you a lesson you won't forget. We want the full amount. I haven't got it all. You, you can look for yourself. All right. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Come on, Whitey. Hey, what's the matter with you, boy? You almost croaked him. Yeah, we'd have had the cops down on us, sure. Yes, I, I could have killed him easily. I wanted to kill him. Wanted to beat his collie. I shouldn't have done. He'd have paid it if he'd had it. I don't think Petro's going to give us any more trouble. And if he does, I'll be only too glad to see him again. <laughs> Nothing's happened to me. You look as though you've been in a fight. I told you it's nothing. Now stop bothering me. But you're in trouble, I know. Please tell me. Maybe I can help. There's nothing that you can do. I told you before. I don't want you to bother me. I don't know what's come over you. It's just impossible to talk to you lately. You you act as if you hate me. Well, I don't like you standing around staring at me. Ever since you got involved with those gangsters, you've begun to act like one. I warn you, Margaret, don't make things any worse than they are. True. You become a criminal. You think like one and act like one. Keep quiet. I won't keep quiet. You've made life unbearable for me. You treat me as if I were just in your way. I I don't recognize you anymore. 
You've become a hoodlum, a vicious, ruthless hoodlum. Perhaps, have I? Well, then I'm going to ask her. Now, get out. Get out before I lose my temper completely. Get out. You don't know there's no worse to your gang. You don't know what you're doing anymore. You can't. Oh, yeah. Once and for all, I'll... You don't know what you're doing. I'll kill that silly nagging voice of yours anymore. I'll never hear it again. Now you keep quiet. Oh. That was Boris Karloff in Study for Murder from Inner Sanctum. Wonderful. Just time to take a trip back to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Let's get down to this picture business. You have been in pictures recently, and your most recent picture was not a comedy. No. What? Was it the well-known, again by process of elimination, not a blonde comedy, but a brunette tragedy? Very much, I would say. Very much a tragedy. Well, let's have a conference now. You may have yeah. very 15 much seconds for a conference. Recent, uh, may I ask, was it a very great popular success? 
Hmm. I don't like that. I will answer <laughs> yes. You go ahead, Mr. Undermeyer. Fifteen what, seconds rate? for a contest. Uh, uh, tragedy you. recently with, with a woman who was a star and prefers not to call herself a great star. Ruth uh, Roman, that sort of thing. Ruth Roman, no. No tragedy. Oh, it could be Gloria. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, of course it is. Gloria Swanson. Yes, it was Gloria Swanson, fresh from her career rebirth in 1950's Sunset Boulevard. Did you get it? I'm sure you did, especially if you came to Film Club a couple of weeks ago and watched her in it. And Sunset Boulevard is among the 73 titles now available to you if you sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret or if you follow the link in the show notes where you can gain instant access to the all-new classic movie library. That is all from me for this week. Thank you for joining me. Until we speak again, take superb care of yourselves and those you love. Take better care of them than I do of myself. You can hear the kind of care I take care of myself. Anyway, be well and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books, and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.